Well, good morning, saints. I invite you to take your Bibles and turn or scroll to 1 John. 1 John uh, chapter 2. In recent weeks, uh, John has tenderly reminded us to not love this world. To not love the things in and of the world. He doesn't present us with a list of do's and don'ts because that oftentimes leads straight to legalism. John gives us a principle. Do not set your affections on what you see around you. Because what you see around you, what you experience, what many other people run after is actually passing and quite frankly awaiting judgment he then offers an extensive warning people people from among your own midst people who associate with the people of god will over time be proven to be false teachers a number of them will eventually simply walk away from the faith and walk away from your company or your fellowship thus proving they were never truly of us or of the truth john is helping us to live soberly to have a serious mindset in our walk with christ in our brief earthly pilgrimage Christ's arrival stirred up unparalleled demonic activity John speaks of the antichrist a yet future individual with unparalleled impressive intellectual and oratory talents but he said the truth is there are many antichrists in the world now And that's what he wants us to be aware of and mindful of because they will seek to confuse and distract believers. Paul told Timothy, he said, the spirit expressly says that in the last times, many will fall away. There will be great deception. And so John wants us to have a mental mindset of being aware of these things. So let's read our text together. It's a long one. We're going to read what we did last week, add a little bit more as well. We covered much of the details in this passage last week. So this is 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 18. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. Oh, but they went out, that it might become plain that they are not all of us us but you have been anointed by the holy one 
and you have all knowledge, I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist, who de- he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you received from him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about everything, and it is true, and is true, and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink back from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. That's a lot. That's a long passage I know. We're going to land the plane in chapter 2 as it transitions into chapter 3. There are really two primary truths that I would like to highlight this morning. The first is the lie, but also God's provision. John uses strong language here. We'll give other examples of that in a moment. But why is the apostle of love using such direct and strong language? What are these lies being propagated by the liars, also called Antichrist. It is crucial that we understand why John is using such strong language. So it should come as no surprise that the liars are maligning the name And misrepresenting the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. They are muddying his person and his work. That is who he is and what he has done. That's what we call the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Nestled right in this letter of love, 26 times he speaks about love. John specifically and pointedly calls out liars. It is worthy of our attention. When it comes to God's son, you cannot get it wrong. There is no room for error when it comes to who Jesus is. What he has done and what he does for us. 
He is not uh, merely a moral teacher. He is Lord. He is not a revolutionary. He is our Savior. He is not a way. He is the way. He is more than a carpenter. He is creator. He did not come to merely show us how to have a better life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. So let's be specific. What is John saying? When he speaks of liars, he focuses on two specific statements. Jesus is the Christ. That might sound like a very simple statement because you've heard it many, many times. His name, we call him Jesus Christ. But what is Christ? Who is Christ? What does Christ mean? When we understand the meaning of Christ, we will understand why John is so adamant that we get it right. Christ means anointed one. He is the expected one, the holy one, the only one. All of our hope rides on Christ. He is the one that the Hebrew scriptures spoke of expectantly, saying there's one coming. Even when the prophets would call out the Israelites in their sin. And note their misery. On another, on another level, they were also telling them there's one coming who will do much more than keep you, take you out of exile and put you back in your home. Christ is creator, Messiah, Son of God, Savior, Lamb of God, Only he could save us from our sins. When the scripture speaks of Jesus Christ or Jesus the Christ, Jesus the anointed one, the ruling one, the king, the savior, the Messiah, that is a non-negotiable within scripture. Who Jesus is, And what he has done for us. Because if we miss that, even though it permeates the entire New Testament, we will misunderstand the entire point, the premise, the foundation of Christianity, of our faith. But he doesn't just speak about Jesus Christ or Jesus the Christ. He also speaks about the Father and the Son together. This matters. You see, one of the precious promises of the gospel is that God, who is infinitely holy and just and righteous, who is the Almighty, he's my God. He is my father. In fact, Galatians refers to him as Abba, father. A much more familiar and a tender 
term. You see, God, who created all things, who is over all, has a personal and a tender interest in you and in me. But you see, there's no coming to God apart from Christ. Remember, Jesus said, John 14, 6, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Peter echoed these words when he stood up to preach in Acts chapter 4, verse 12. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which, whereby you must be saved, he said. This is God's gift, God's provision. If we are to be reconciled to God, which is the entire point of scripture from Genesis 3 on, it is through Jesus Christ, through the person and the work of Christ. And so understanding who the Father is, understanding who the Son is, is crucial to the gospel. And it is not something that we have wiggle room on. The Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. It is such beautiful truth, beautiful the gospel is so wonderful. And John says, watch out for those people who would call themselves Christians, who would associate with Christians, but actually bring you an entirely different message. That's serious. Now, lest you think that I am being a little too harsh or exclusive in what I'm saying. I want you to look at what the forerunner to Christ had to say. John the Baptist, you will recall, came out swinging. Isaiah, Isaiah told us that he is coming. Isaiah 40. There is one coming who will come before Christ and prepare the way of the Lord. So what did John the Baptist say? This is his seeker-friendly TED Talk to his best friends, the religious leaders. Luke chapter 3, verse 7. He, John, said therefore to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Not exactly a nice get-to-know-you session. Why? Because John the Baptist, his role was to prepare the way of the Lord. It was to prepare people and hearts for the Lord himself, Emmanuel, God with us, who would be among us. You see, the good news of Christ has a flip side. The reason why Christ 
is so beautiful and so good and the gospel is so wonderful is that God is reconciling sinners to himself. But the first thing that sinners need to do, remember the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit. If you are proud, if you are full of yourself, if you think for one moment that you can merit your own righteousness before God, Jesus and everybody else says, you need to humble yourself. But it's not just John the Baptist. It's Jesus too. Listen to what Jesus said. This is Matthew chapter 23. Again, His friends, the scribes and the Pharisees. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourself. These are blistering words. In fact, the entire chapter is full of this. When Jesus, on the flip end of his ministry, confronts the religious system of the day that was not representing God at all. Jesus was no mere moral teacher. He was calling sinners to repentance. So let's talk for just a moment about these so-called Christians who were in the midst of the congregation. I point you to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I want you to hear what Paul says in verse 13. And when we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural or unsaved person does not accept the things of the spirit of God. Why? For they are folly to him. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Remember what Paul told the Corinthians, in fact, just before this in chapter 1, that the word of the cross, the message of the cross, is foolishness to the world. I mean, who would ever conceive of such a plan? You're a sinner. You can't save yourself. God comes down and does it for you. That made no sense whatsoever. Whatsoever. To the religious leaders of the day. They were looking for their Christ. Their Messiah. To be the ones essential. To be the one essentially. At the time who would boot the Romans out. In fact, I'd like to call for um, 
a slide that I skipped, which is the Spurgeon slide. This is what Charles Spurgeon had to say in the 1800s. The Holy Ghost rides in the chariot of Scripture, not in the wagon of modern thought. And oh, how true that is. Every generation, bar none, will come up with their own convoluted reason for what or as to what scripture is speaking to or what the gospel is and so forth. But he reminds us to stand on the truth of the word of God and to not be taken by philosophies or ways of interpreting scriptures that really don't align with scripture. You see, going back to this 1 Corinthians 2 passage, eventually those who are not truly born again leave. Because if you're not born again, you don't and you cannot truly value the cross. That old hymn, the old rugged cross, there is something fantastically simple and beautiful about knowing God and walking with him as a believer in Christ. God loves me. Christ laid his life down for me. How can I ever, ever get over that or lose my sense of wonderment at that? What God went to to redeem me, to call me his own. And so he says three times over in verses 18 and 19, going back to our passage. They left because they weren't of us. And after a while, I was like, well, what's, what's the point? But you see, as we grow in grace, more and more we appreciate the cross. We see our need. And that attitude of gratitude grows within us. So, dear saints, now let us consider and rejoice in God's provision. Yes, John has sounded the warning. But I want you to know, as does John, as does every New Testament author, who it is that resides in you. I don't have a slide, but if you care to take your Bibles, look at Ephesians chapter 1. This is... The beautiful passage that talks about the riches of knowing Christ. Verse 13 of chapter 1. In him, Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, that is the good news of your salvation, and you believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, 
who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. As long as you walk this earth on this side of glory, the Holy Spirit is in you. You are sealed with him. And Jesus said in John 16 that he would teach and guide and illuminate us. What John is telling us is this. You know the truth about Jesus Christ. You know who he is. You know why he came. You know what he did. And you know what he is to you. Hold fast to that. Do not be dissuaded or distracted or led astray by people bringing all kinds of new stories about Jesus. As Paul said, Christ came to save sinners. That's why he came. The Holy Spirit is in you to affirm the truth about Christ. The Holy Spirit will always and without exception point us to Christ. He will always show us his honor and his glory. He will always help us keep our eyes on him. It is a beautiful and a wonderful ministry. So let's flesh this out just a moment. If the Spirit is our provision, I'd like to take it a step further than John does here and just talk about the path to, if I could say this, maximizing the Spirit's work in and through us. He lives in us, and yet we are called over and over again to not grieve the Holy Spirit, to not ignore His promptings, to not ignore His convictions. We are called to live in relationship to him and with him, to be responsive to him, to be mindful of him, and to develop our walk with the Lord in such that there is unbroken communion with him. It gives me the opportunity to reference our verse for this year for our church. Paul's final words to the Corinthian church. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. That is the apostles' prayer. That we would enjoy not simply head knowledge or know about the Spirit, But that we would have a walk and a relationship experiential with him. That he truly, truly, when he convicts us, we respond. When he leads, we respond. We say this so often, it is so easy. It is so easy to be distracted. To be overwhelmed with the pressures and the stresses of life that we experience. Paul's prayer 
is that we would walk resolutely in fellowship with the Holy Spirit. That's our word for today. Uh, So I'd like to take a moment and just transition as we observe communion today. I'd like to just take a minute or two of quiet reflection. We're still in January, still a new month, still a new year, excuse me. Sometimes there are habits that need to be broken or sin that needs to be confessed. The biggest thought that I want you to walk away with today is God has given you everything you need to thrive in your relationship with him, in your walk with Christ. Listen to these words from 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. God's divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. We have it. So let's walk with confidence. Let's be resolute in our walk with the Lord. And as Paul said, or as John said, remain or abide in that truth. Paul said this. And it's at this time, if you would take your uh, communion cups and begin the wonderful rumbling within the NPR... When we are observing communion together, it is between us and God, but it's in the context of one another. It's a beautiful and a tactile reminder that Christ has laid down his life for us. That God's love is so great for us the shed blood of Jesus Christ reminds us of the length that he would go to to redeem and to reconcile us remember peter said we are not redeemed by you know little things like silver or gold, perishable items, things that we would highly esteem today. He said, no, something much better, something much more precious, the blood of Christ. And what I want you to hear this morning is the deep, deep love of God for you. 
no matter what you came in with this morning on your mind or on your shoulders, know that God loves you. Paul said, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Would you join me, please? In the same way also, he took the cup after supper. Remember that third cup is the cup of redemption. In which the Israelites, the Jews, remembered generations prior to a lamb being slain for their household. And as they walked through their door, covered by the blood of the lamb, they were free. They were no longer in bondage. But Jesus took that same cup after supper. And he rewrote the narrative. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it. In remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Would you join me, please? Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the hope of the gospel that truly is in every way good news. Thank you for the very simple and uncomplicated truth that Christ died for sinners. Thank you for the simplicity and the power of the gospel. Recognizing and acknowledging our own sin and our need for a savior. And turning to the Lord Jesus Christ. Calling upon him. Placing our faith and confidence In the person and the work of Christ. Believing that he is able to save. That his blood is sufficient. Apart from our efforts. Or our contribution. Oh Lord we always pray. That those within the sound of my voice who have not already 
would believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That the fullness and the beauty of who he is and what he has done would be their most cherished and precious possession. Oh Lord, we say it over and over again these days. These are difficult times on so many different levels. Remind us over and over again that you love us. That love is unconditional. It is wondrous. It is beautiful. Grow us and guide us so that we're not just busy all day long and neglectful of our time with you, our quiet time, our communion with you. Where you refresh and restore and strengthen and help. To love you, to love our neighbors, to love righteousness is conjoined with the gospel. When we're born again, increasingly that becomes our natural disposition. Increase us in that. Show us areas as believers where we can deny ourselves as we follow you. Putting your truth above our desires. Putting the needs of others way beyond ourselves. Help us to embody that beautiful and tender love to others. Thank you that you have shed your love abroad in our hearts. Grow us in confidence and assurance as we follow and live for you. We give you thanks and we give you all the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.